and welcome back to episode 35 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am here with my co-host Leah Heigl and today we are going to be sharing our top nutrition tips for gut health. So when talking about gut health, we're going to start off by talking about the microbiota and what that is. So basically that's the collection of microbes that live in and on the human body that makes up the microbiota. And that has an integral role in things like digestion, immune function, brain health, metabolism, and it's also got a pretty strong link with mood and mental health as well. Where it becomes interesting is a lot of people, when they reach out to me and say, I want to improve my gut health, often they're just talking about IBS symptoms and like digestion and stuff like that. Um, when it's really, really a broad, broad kind of topic and those two, they do go hand in hand to a certain degree, but they also could have separate kind of influences. Like, for example, doing a low FODMAP diet could be an effective way to reduce IBS symptoms in a lot of people. But we know that there's other factors of gut health, like diversity of the microbiome and stuff like that, where going on a low FODMAP diet would reduce the diversity, and that's not in alignment with overall good gut health. So it's kind of like a complex topic, and it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it. But we're going to try and give a bit of a broad overview that covers that. And on that topic, making it even more complex, is everybody's looking for a healthy gut microbiome, but obviously there's no clear consensus definition of that. But there are certain themes that we know matter, like that diversity. We know of some healthy populations of bacteria and stuff like that that we're looking for. So there is definitely some things that we can improve upon pretty much across the board for most people. First thing we're going to touch on in relation to improving your gut health is is a pretty basic one, and it's to eat a fiber-rich diet. Um, so fiber is a type of non-digestible carbohydrate that is found exclusively in plant foods. So fiber recommendations for adults is 25 grams of fiber per day for women and 30 grams per day for men. I generally tend to just call it 30 across yeah, the board to keep it simple. Um, I think everyone can benefit from having at least 30 grams of, of fiber day to day. Um, it is interesting to note though, that the research that we have on fiber intakes in gut health um, is that vegans and vegetarians that have fiber intakes of like 40 plus grams of fiber per day do tend to have slightly more diverse um, gut microbiomes. So even at 30 grams per day, I'd say that's like more of a minimum and you can absolutely go above that if you can tolerate it. Yeah, within reason, it's pretty much a more is better kind of scenario. And that's also where it gets interesting as well, hey, where it's like, that's why I really kind of preach that's like, hey, like gut health and quote unquote digestion or IBS symptoms aren't, they don't 100% overlap because like that whole more is better philosophy could fall apart if you take it extremely far. Definitely. It's probably going to lead to bloating, gas reduction, all those kind of things. So it's like there is a middle ground somewhere in there, but it's like from what we're measuring in terms of gut bacteria and all those kind of things, it does mostly seem like more is better. <laughs> more is kind of better to yeah. a certain extent, for sure, um, when we're just talking about gut health and diversity of the gut microbiome. But yeah, if you do eat too much too soon and your gut is not really ready for that, it's not primed for it, you may experience things like flatulence, gas, like same thing, but um, bloating, and they're really common for people that especially are taking on like a plant-based diet initially. Yeah. We'll see just because of that rapid increase in fiber intake that they're going to have some issues in tolerating that initially. Um, but if you're eating kind of under that minimum recommendation of 30 grams per day, that's kind of the first step when it comes to gut health, like tick that off the list first. Yeah. And the saying I like in relation to that, particularly if you are coming from a lower fiber intake, 
is start low and go slow. Where it's kind of like wherever you're at, just very slowly build up. Don't try and make a massive change because making a massive change probably going to lead to unpleasant symptoms and stuff like that. Whereas if you slowly build up to it, it's probably going to work out far better. Yeah, I usually see people make the mistake of just like two tablespoons of psyllium husk a day and then that's like the change they make. And like, yeah. whoa, that's pretty big step from like where they were. Yeah. And of course, you're probably going to see symptoms occur. So generally just trying to increase those plant-based foods slowly over a longer period of time, best way to go about it. 100%. And on that topic, like I, I feel like a broken record with this tip since I say it all the time, but it is one of the most clear-cut ones we've got where it's aiming to eat greater than 30 different plant-based foods per week. And where this tip typically stems from is it comes from this research done by the American Gut Project where they had massive sample sizes. It was mostly like food frequency questionnaire type kind of research where they're like, how many different plant-based foods per week do you eat? And then like measuring people's gut microbiomes after that. And the, what that study or that research really came to the conclusion of is if you compare this extreme scenario of greater than 30 different plant-based foods per week, versus less than 10, there is a very big difference in the gut microbiome. Um, the people who have greater than 30 have a much bigger diversity of their gut microbiome. And it also, they seem to have more of this healthy populations, all these kind of things that we're looking at. Um, and there was also overlap between that and also like mental health and stuff like that. They seem, they showed little things with that type of research showing that people with mental health conditions typically have microbiomes that are more similar to each other than they are to people without mental health conditions. And obviously that's that's another interesting area of this whole area of research because that's the same thing with obesity as well. It's like people with obesity have more similar microbiomes to each other than they do to people without obesity. But it's kind of like a cause and effect kind of thing. Like we know that a lot of these things like eating more fiber, having more diversity of plant-based foods, all these things help. But there are a lot of other things in there that like how much is cause and effect as well. 100%. The, the whole gut health topic is so complicated and a lot of it's like, yeah, chicken or the egg scenario. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, we know that having a really diverse diet is probably pretty beneficial for gut health, like bottom line. Yeah. And on that topic of like, how do you achieve that? Because like, what if you are in that camp of like under 10 different plant-based foods per week? And like, what if you're in that camp, but you also have a relatively healthy diet too as well? Like it could go both ways, obviously, but like, like we spend a lot of time around bodybuilders and stuff like that. Yeah. There, there is a lot of people who just like um, have a routine that they just go to basically. Um, and when you break it down, it's not as hard as it sounds in terms of like little things that like the first thing that always pops into my mind when I'm talking about that is like, say somebody likes nuts and they might eat almonds or one individual nut. Like if you literally switch that for mixed nuts, you've already got like six plus of your 30 that you're aiming for. Um, another like little way of doing it without thinking about in terms of it's 30 plus, but just like in terms of how you think about your nutrition is like you can get one nut and then the next time you go shopping, you can get a different one and then the next time a different one, like introduce some diversity that way. But then other things are like, instead of just having one piece of fruit, like you could have a fruit salad instead of just having um, a couple of vegetables, you could have mixed vegetables or you could have a salad bag. Like there's seeds, there's so many different options you can go with. Um, like even like instead of one legume, you could have four bean mix. Like there's so many different options and it all adds up pretty quickly. And that obviously brings up the very obvious question that comes into line when you're talking about does somebody who eats greater than 30 different plant-based foods per week versus somebody who eats 10 different plant-based foods per week, do they eat more plant matter to start off with? Like do they just eat more plants? Do they have more fiber? It's probably a combination of things. Don't take it too literally. Don't take it being like, oh, it's only diversity that matters. Like it is both. It's quantity and the diversity as well. 
Yeah, if you're just having like an almond a week, that's probably not going to contribute so much to diversity. Like quantity to a certain extent does matter. Yeah. Yeah. And on that topic as well, like in that diversity kind of line of thinking, if we are looking at also from the perspective of digestion and IBS symptoms and everything like that, um, diversity of foods can be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's kind of like if you restrict down to a narrow range of foods that you will eat from, it might make it so that you get more symptoms like IBS type symptoms when you reintroduce other foods that you don't normally eat because our gut bacteria is involved in the digestion of foods and if you aren't having certain foods, the bacteria that normally would feed on those foods can die off a little bit because it no longer has its food coming in. It no longer has that food coming in. Um, Our digestive enzymes that are normally used for digesting those foods or those food groups could also decrease a little bit because there's no need for them. It's just the body adapting. Um, Somebody who has a very varied intake is more likely to be well-equipped to having varied foods coming in than somebody who only eats the same six foods or whatever over and over and over. And this is kind of a bit of a catch when it comes to IBS-type symptoms, particularly if somebody's struggling to identify particular intolerances and stuff like that because they might restrict and restrict and restrict and get down to this narrow range of food and they're like, okay, if I only eat these 10 or less foods, I feel good. And every time I stray away from this, I don't feel good. Um, But it kind of makes it harder. This is also something we see pretty commonly with carnivore and stuff like that where it's kind of like people go carnivore they feel really great. They reintroduce other foods. They don't feel so great. And it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, well, now I've got to stay carnivore too, to feel good, basically. Yeah, 100%. Even comparing that back to, like, fiber, if yeah. you consistently have low fiber yeah. intake, like, yeah, going from 10 grams a day to 30 to 40 grams a day is going to feel like crap. Yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong or the bad thing yeah. to do. Um, So the next part of this discussion is definitely going to be probiotics and prebiotics. So we hear these words a lot when we're talking about gut health and for good reason. So probiotics are the live microorganisms found in certain foods, uh, which when consumed in adequate amounts are really beneficial to uh, improving the gut microbiome and its diversity. Um, And on the flip side to that, a prebiotic is a type of fiber found in plant-based foods, which promotes the growth of that probiotic bacteria. So I like to think of it as probiotics are the healthy bacteria that we want in our gut and prebiotic is kind of the food for those those healthy gut bacteria. So both are really important for both improving and maintaining good gut health. So foods that contain probiotics include things like yogurt, so like pretty much your fermented products. So yogurt, other fermented milk products like kefir, uh, any kind of fermented vegetables. So my favorite's definitely kimchi. I eat like a jar a week, Um, but things like sauerkraut, pickles, anything like that. Um, And your fermented soy products are really great. So if you're into things like tempeh or miso or natto, uh, they're really good options that are really probiotic rich. Um, In regards to prebiotics, that's going to be predominantly all of your kind of diverse plant-based foods. Some are a little bit higher than others. Um, For uh, example, we have vegetables that things like green peas, snow peas, garlic and onion, leeks uh, that are particularly rich in prebiotics. Fruit-wise, bananas, dried fruit, watermelon, they're all amazing. Um, I definitely encourage lots of legumes and diversity in legumes. Uh, even your grains are great and all your nuts and seeds. So again, it kind of goes back to that diversity and quantity of plant-based foods and it kind of covers that to a certain degree. Yeah, and that's also what's interesting about FODMAPs. So like we've got this data showing that if somebody goes on a low FODMAP diet, 
for four weeks, their gut microbiome changes pretty quickly. It's also important to note that it actually changes that quickly. It's not just this long-term thing that evolves slowly over time. It, it does happen relatively quickly. And it's kind of like, if you look through like what are good prebiotic foods, like a lot of them are cut they out overlap. on the low FOD. Yeah, they're, they're often cut out on the low FODMAP diet. And like, that's what's hard because it's like, we know it's so effective for IBS, but it's also like when we're looking at quote unquote good gut health, a lot of these things are also key for that as well. So it makes it more complex. It's almost like a contradiction to a certain degree. Um, the other thing that I was going to touch on since we're talking about probiotics and I feel like we might have talked about this previously on other podcasts but like if somebody just wants good gut health would we recommend probiotics like supplementation yeah I guess I generally don't like yeah. I said it before I don't go out of my way to recommend them but if a client's like I want to try this yeah. then yeah okay absolutely you can kind of put it in there yeah I'm not opposed to it it's the same kind of category if somebody wants to do it then it makes sense to me um, I see it as something that depending on the strain depending on what you use because it's so diverse but like it can help certain symptoms and stuff like that for somebody who is like i don't get any symptoms i feel great all the time like <laughs> i just want to maintain good gut health or whatever i probably don't use it in that situation um but the big thing is like as you kind of talked about prebiotics are the food for the probiotics if you take a probiotic supplement and then you don't have this diverse range of prebiotics coming in even if the probiotic worked when you stop taking it the bacteria that you introduce into your system will die off because it doesn't have the environment created for it to feed on and everything like that. Yeah, it would never be my frontline approach, that's for sure. It's like tick all these boxes and then if you want to put a probiotic on top of that, what's the harm? Yeah. So the next one, this is probably something I'm like the least passionate about. Like I don't really care about this one <laughs> to, be, to be blatantly honest, but it is something that's like we can't really talk about gut health without also mentioning this. It is a key tip for like if somebody wants to improve gut health, it makes sense. And that is resistant starch. So res resistant starch talks in, it kind of fits into that prebiotic fiber category. Um, and it's one of those ones that like really clearly nourishes good bacteria in the large intestine. Um, it is how the name kind of describes it. It is a type of fiber or starch that is resistant to digestion. And when it ferments in the gut, it basically helps produce butyrate. And we know butyrate is really good for gut health. One of the stats I always love to chuck out is that people with IBS on average have one-fifth the amount of butyrate as those without IBS. So it's like we know it's linked with irritable bowel syndrome. Um, and then even on that low FODMAP topic, it's kind of like we, we know the low FODMAP diet actually reduces butyrate further <laughs> or like it takes out a lot of butyrate producing foods. So like that, that's another thing where it's like, okay, butyrate probably plays a pretty significant role in this. It's not the be all and end all, it's not a major factor, but it is something that is something that's such a common theme that probably shouldn't be overlooked. Just like how I talk about how with vitamin D, like 80% of people with IBS have low vitamin D. That doesn't mean I, that low vitamin D causes it, but it's like it's such a common theme that it's worth looking at. Um, so where do we get resistance starch from? Like we do get it through food. On average, people in Australia consume about three to nine grams of resistance starch per day. Um, whereas when we're looking at it from a research perspective, like what's most linked with positive health outcomes, we're looking at like 15 to 20 grams per day. Um, in food, it is, it is found in stuff like whole grains, legumes, nuts, starchy vegetables, and some seeds. Obviously, it's hard for us to identify just like you can't just read a label and see. We just know that it's in those things. And if you increase your intake of those things, you'll be increasing it further. But where most people like who are really interested in that are getting these high amounts from are things like unripe bananas, so like green bananas and like green banana flour and cooking and stuff like that. Um, 
And the most common one that I often hear of is cooked and cool cooked and cooled grains and starchy vegetables. Like for example, potato, rice, pasta, cooking it and then cooling it so you could have as leftovers and stuff like that. I think that's the easiest one. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. And like a lot of people like incidentally do that. Like they're not even like doing it intentionally for resistant starch. It's just a byproduct that comes alongside it. So the final part to this discussion is less about what you can add to your diet and more about what you can kind of moderate or minimize. Um, and that is alcohol and meat products. Um, so from a, like a meat perspective, like I'd, I'd hate to be the vegan telling people to eat less meat because <laughs> you just don't want to be that guy. Um, but a high intake of cholesterol from animal products has been shown to decrease the levels of bifidobacteria. Um, and we know that's a particularly beneficial bacteria for gut health. Um, so I'm not saying cut all meat out of your diet but yeah having a, a plant-based diet with moderate amounts of meat is going to generally be better for gut health um, the same thing goes for alcohol and gut health so we know that chronic alcohol consumption has also been shown to result in gut dysbiosis so that imbalance of the the gut microbiota so you don't want to excessively consume alcohol intake if you're really thinking about general health but gut health as well um, so you don't need to completely cut alcohol or meat out of your diet. It's really just about moderation. And like a quick one on that as well, like we've made as well, like if cholesterol is the driving factor behind this, you could also make the argument that choosing leaner cuts of meat oh, totally. is also a massive step in the right direction too. So the microbiome is a complicated area of research. For the time being, we can be pretty positive that having a good volume and variety of plant-based foods is a really good idea. Um, incorporating prebiotic-rich foods, probiotic-rich foods, the resistant starch stuff, that is all going to be beneficial, limiting consumption of alcohol and, and potentially higher fat, high cholesterol meat and animal products. Um, but then going back to the lifestyle factors as well, so reducing stress, really focusing on you know, your mental health, exercising regularly and maintaining a healthy weight. So there is a lot that goes into it, but it kind of comes back to those basics. For sure. Super complex topic, but there's a lot of easy wins to improve it as well. So that has been episode 35 of the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. Thank you to everybody who's been listening.